0: Well, the snow is about to start flying here this time of year, and if you're anything like me, that means time to hang the bikes, pack up the jean shorts, and clean up the yard for the long winter hibernation. Fortunately, there is relief from dreary winter woes. Paper Blossoms by McKell are always in season. Paper Blossoms by McKell are custom arrangements handmade to order any time of year. Each bouquet is unique, competitively priced, and best of all, no green thumb required. If you're looking for that original gift for someone special or something to brighten the living room, check them out at Facebook at facebook.com slash blossoms by That's Paper Blossoms by McKel, Michal, M-I-C-H-A-L. And remember, Valentine's Day is right around the corner.
1: That's right, Paul. And if you're interested in winning a free bouquet of flowers from Paper Blossoms by McHel, then we have an amazing contest for you. Beginning on December seventeenth, go to iTunes, to Dating Ourselves Podcast, and give us a five-star review and leave us some nice words. Once you do that, you'll automatically be entered into the contest. On January 17th, we will pick three winners out of a hat, and those winners will each receive a custom-made bouquet of flowers from Paper Blossoms by Mikkel. And let me tell you, as an 80s, 90s, or early 2000s fan, the opportunity to win one of these three bouquets will be amazing. So again, to enter the contest, just go to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. And if you'd like to order your own Paper Blossom by Mikkel, visit facebook.com slash Paper Blossoms by Mikkel. That's M-I-C-H-A-L. Welcome back to the past. This is Dating Ourselves, the podcast that talks everything 80s, 90s, and 2000s. I'm your host, Adam, and I'm joined by my co host Paul and Brian. Thanks, Adam. So,
0: here we are, episode two. We appreciate all you listeners checking out the last episode of Dating Ourselves. If you haven't already, you'll want to give the episode a listen. As a major Simpsons fan, I honestly uh, don't think we're ever going to do better than that. Well, (laughs) Well, I hope we can do better than that (laughs) Best episode ever
2: (laughs) Well, for those who listened to that first episode You got a sense of who we are And how this podcast works At the end of each episode We draw 80s, 90s, and early 2000s Pop culture topics from the Hopper of imagination (laughs) And we each Sorry (laughs) And we each stake our claim As to which topic we want to lead a discussion on For the next episode
1: previously on dating ourselves <laughs> <laughs> sorry about that just got into a groove there so on the last episode paul selected the 90s board game gator golf i selected the classic nintendo 64 video game GoldenEye. and brian who's going to lead us off today selected the 80s action movie highlander there can
2: only be one
0: <laughs> that was pretty good. Thank you. <laughs> I've been practicing.
2: <laughs> All right, folks. So uh, yeah, here's our first one. So um, I drew the topic Highlander. It is a movie. So um, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna talk about it. So the release date for Highlander. It was an '80s movie. It came out March 7th, 1986, in the United States. The budget of the movie was $19 million, um, oh. and at the box office it earned 12.9, million. so ooh, not quite a flop, but um, it didn't make its money back either. The music, um, all the uh, orchestral score was done by Michael Kamen, and the soundtrack was done another by the band Queen, uh, one of my yes. all-time favorites. Gosh, there's some amazing songs, too.
1: Amazing soundtrack. Oh, seriously. One of the best.
2: I mean, one of my all-time favorite Queen songs ever uh, is in that movie, and that would be Who Wants to Live Forever. Um, but um, yeah, Princess they... of the Universe is amazing. Um, Hammer to Fall. It's a Kind of Magic. There's so many good ones in there.
1: Oh, yeah. They they definitely did uh, well by putting the uh, Who Wants to Live Forever in there. That was a perfect track for that particular scene.
2: Yeah, agreed, agreed. Now, it's really interesting. I'll go through some more of the statistics and the kind of the, the nuts and bolts of the movie in a moment. But there were a lot of other people that were actually approached to do this soundtrack, and they declined the offer. Really? Uh, so, so yeah. So, so the, the director is uh, Russell. I want to say it's Russell McKay. I, I, I'm not exactly sure how to say his name, so hopefully someone can correct me <laughs> on that. Um, but, uh, he did a lot of music video direction as well as cinematic direction. So he was famous for working with Elton John, Duran Duran, the Vapors. Uh, so I could see that watching the movie. (laughs) Yeah. It's got a very like MTV, like 1980s feel to it. Um,
1: although now I'm just picturing Elton John doing the soundtrack for this movie.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't know if he was ever one that was approached, but that would have been really interesting. And I, I, all I can imagine is it would be like the Lion King, but with beheadings. Hold the head up.
1: Yeah. <laughs> but, but instead of the circle of life, it's the circle of death. Right, right. And so he'd get me had... to
0: buy the candle in the wind one more time.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> he'd, he'd be able to get his uh, check for that song for the third time
2: right right <laughs> but i know that duran duran was approached which i thought would have been kind of strange um and then one of my favorite uh progressive rock bands a band called marillion was also approached really? and that would have been really i think fascinating to oh to that have would have been um I, I don't think it could have ever gotten any better than queen doing the soundtrack and i think that that's part of part of the allure for me to the movie is is freddie mercury's voice and, and just the orchestration that uh that that brian may and the fellas have i mean it's just it's top notch like i don't know how you could ever top it you know oh absolutely so um so starring in the movie we already talked about who directed it and who wrote the music but starring was a. Uh, uh, Christopher Lambert, uh, and he's most famous. Uh, well, his most famous role is this movie. He was he was Connor McLeod, uh, but he also played uh, Lord Raiden in in the first Mortal Kombat movie, yes. which is one of my all time favorite movies from from being a kid. Classic. Clancy Brown was the Kurgan, so he was he was the villain. Um, he also played Steve in Shoot to Kill, Captain Byron Hadley in Shawshank Redemption. And surprisingly enough Mr. Krabs on SpongeBob SquarePants. <laughs> what? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Seriously? <laughs> Seriously.
0: <laughs>
1: wow. Wow, that changes that whole show for me. It
2: it really does. <laughs> but it's one of those things like like when you see uh Mark Hamill like get up dressed as like luke skywalker and then he starts talking like the joker it's the same thing where you, you Fancy true. brown he gets up there and he starts asking for crabby patties <laughs> and secret recipes and um <laughs> it's it's really bizarre um so you have you have roxanne hart played uh, brenda wyatt which was Connor mcleod's wife at the end of the movie but the way they meet is she was a Forensic investigator that was investigating this case in 1980s New York City, and we'll get into the whole plot of the movie in a moment. But the the biggest name in the movie, um, even though it was billed after Christopher Lambert, um, is Sean Connery. Yes, um, from, from little known roles like James <laughs> Bond and The Rock, um, he played Juan Sanchez Villalobos Ramirez, um, and Bless that's. You yes thank you (laughs) Uh, i need a breather about halfway through that that's a long long name um but that's essentially what i have in terms of the the stats of the movie um and since this is one of paul's all-time favorite movies i I would feel bad not letting him at least kind of lead the synopsis of the movie so do you want to kind of start with the with the general plot and we'll kind of uh we'll be your backup singers
0: so I'll just I'll start with the mythos of what Highlander is that carries through all of them. In general, uh, there is a group of people on Earth that are immortal. And they die in some violent fashion, and then they immediately are resurrected. And after that point, they can't die unless they are beheaded. And then it's uh, permadeath. Now I like um, that term <laughs> Permadeath
2: Good song title <laughs>
0: <laughs> When they are um, So they all have this uh, Urge to Supposedly They are fighting for a prize At some point in the future They are all going to be drawn Like teenage boys in puberty To the same location <laughs> And uh, they are <laughs> going to fight Until there is only one when uh the last one remains he will receive the prize which is not really known what the prize is it's
1: it's one of those prizes in the cereal box it's really not all that <laughs> correct It's a (laughs) decoder ring. (laughs) Drink your Ovaltine.
2: (laughs) Come on, Orphan Annie. (laughs) They have weird
0: old school rules like they're not allowed to fight on holy ground. And when they um, attack each other, when one of them slays another, they experience what's called a quickening, where they absorb the energy and the memories of that person. And when this happens, it's like a lightning storm. In the first movie, especially the first one, it's like a category four hurricane of just you know cars flying lightning storms windows blow
1: out electricity is
2: popping yeah yeah there's like cars bouncing up and uh... down (laughs) (laughs) so 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 connor MacLeod, he was from what the 1500s or 15th century scotland Mm -hmm. like he's from several hundred Mm -hmm. years ago but that's not necessarily all of these immortals You know, that's how he got his name as the Highlander, you know, because he was from the Scottish Highlands. But that's not necessarily the case for all of these Immortal um, fighters.
0: Sean Connery is affiliated with Spain, where he holds a leadership position with the monarchy. But he's really Egyptian, but talks with a Scottish accent,
1: which makes a ton of sense.
0: And he has a Japanese sword, if I remember correctly. <laughs> yes, was it?
1: Wasn't it a Hanzo? <laughs> it cut. It cuts <laughs> like a Hanzo.
2: <laughs> sure does. So the three of us watched this movie uh, somewhat recently, and um, the whole story, the whole mythos of Juan Sanchez Villalobos Ramirez, Mister Mister Sean Connery, it is a fascinating one because he, yeah, he was born in Egypt, but he was given a. Sp- Spanish name, which I'm not really sure why, but he was thousands of years old and he was married to a, a Japanese princess, which I think is how he obtained the Japanese sword. But Sean Connery, the actual actor, which I I don't know how true this is because it doesn't sound <laughs> true when you watch the movie, but apparently he took uh, voice acting lessons from someone to learn how to speak with a Spanish (laughs) accent. Whoever had
1: that job needs (laughs) to get fired because they did a horrible job.
2: (laughs) I mean, he doesn't sound like James Bond and Dr. No, but I don't necessarily think he sounds like... someone he from he sounds like, like
1: the I can't believe it's not butter of Sean Connery accents. <laughs> <laughs>
2: sure, sure. <laughs> he
0: definitely uh he definitely rolled his Rs a little more and he was a lot more clearer to understand than standard Sean Connery. Yeah, especially true. like his recent work where he just sounds like a drunk
1: slurring. It's <laughs> actually a pretty good way to describe his speech patterns these days. What do you say? I don't know, but it was awesome.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, he's just awesome in general, you know, I mean, when you, when you're James Bond and when you're Ramirez and you well, know, and you, uh, you, you, have certain, you uh, uh, forgot to mention one
1: of his uh, important roles probably is most important in my eyes, is he was uh, Indiana Jones's father in the third Indiana Jones one. Well,
2: that's true. Yes. Last Crusade, yeah, that's definitely true. So did you guys have a particular favorite fight scene in the movie? Any, anything in particular that really... Uh... I mean, I think mine kind of would make sense.
1: Uh, that last fight scene, that was the, the, the fight scene between McCloud and the Kurgan. Just super epic fight. Yeah, it's on top of a
0: building. It's absolutely. got that New York skyline in the back. It, it couldn't get more 80s than that, and <laughs> they went out of their way to make it like larger than life.
1: Oh, absolutely, yeah. Damsel in oh, distress yeah. tied well, and to the have, building.
2: <laughs> I was just going to say damsel in distress tied, not even just to the building, but tied to a giant electric neon sign <laughs> in the rain. Um, <laughs> Very 80s. Like I mean, it, it's it's epic as hell. Now, this isn't necessarily part of the topic, and this may come up in in future episodes of dating ourselves. But we also recently watched the second movie, um, and it's interesting to me that a movie that never actually broke even at the box office had a trilogy, had a TV series, had action figures, had I think there may have been like an NES game. Saturday
0: morning cartoon show. Yep. Yeah, I mean, they had everything. There's the actually six movies. Really? Wow. There's six There's movies. There's six
2: movies. So I was only familiar with the original trilogy, which the original trilogy is kind of a bastardized <laughs> word because the movies don't seem to really fall in any type of chronological order or logical no, order in any way. No, not at all. In any like way. somehow Sean Connery, who gets
1: decapitated in very epic fashion in the first movie is somehow back for the second movie. And they never really explained that other than what, what was it that he said you had to like, if you just called their name, they could come back from the dead.
0: He said they were joined in a bond greater than death itself. And should you ever need me, just call (laughs) my name.
1: (laughs) And so all of a sudden he is allowed to come back, even though his Kappa got detated in the first movie. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so it's a it's a Marvin Gaye, Tammy Terrell, Ain't No Mountain High Enough you know, if you need me, call me type type situation. Um <laughs> but uh yeah, so and so that's uh that's a really uh epic decapitation. But yeah, then he's just like, Yeah, if you need me, call me. But then there's that whole scene in the beginning as well, um, that predates their meeting in the first movie. So in the first movie, the two of them meet because um ramirez hears that there's this other immortal and perhaps a chosen immortal uh, named MacLeod in scotland and he seeks him out and that's the first time they mm-hmm. ever meet yet in the second movie there is some weird space battle um <laughs> that predates this thousands of years and somehow the two of them meet at that time as well
1: because <laughs> there's no need for <laughs> continuity right
2: <laughs> they right. probably just figured nobody saw the first so.
1: one so it didn't matter if the continuity was straight or not. <laughs>
0: they are sent back to well, the past I'm... where they will forget everything and have to live out their lives as an immortal on earth.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, I really liked the first movie. I thought I thought it was good. I think I oh, would absolutely. I would give it, you know, like a, an easy 8 out of 10. It was very entertaining. Um, I'm glad I didn't necessarily watch it in high def because I'm not sure how many <laughs> of the effects would uh, would be as watchable. Um, yeah, you know, without without that shroud of fuzziness. But the second movie bordered on on pretty terrible. Um, <laughs> kind of as it's kind of feels like Blade Runner a little bit, but it also yeah, kind of that feels kind of like neon and dark look to it. But it also kind of felt like the Super Mario movie, too. <laughs> Very um, much like Super Mario. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the whole thing with, uh, you know, we won't get too much into this, but part of the uh, part of the story is that there's a. I guess we never finished the the first movie. the The first movie the 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 prize that the immortals win uh, is that they get an opportunity to be like omnipresent and know everything. Um, So they Mm -hmm. get all the knowledge of the world um, once they are the final immortal. And with that knowledge, McLeod, if you fast forward, you know, into the future, the ozone, which was a big issue in the eighties is deteriorating to the point where human life will no longer be sustainable on earth. So he creates a giant shield to protect the world. And um, they've, for whatever reason, need to take the shield down because I guess the ozone's repaired itself and it's no longer necessary to have it.
0: And they've lived in darkness for like 20, 30 years. And there's a whole generation right. that's never seen the sun. And it's very gloomy and post-apocalyptic.
2: And it's it's very, very different from like, you know, at the time, modern day New York City to like this bizarre dystopian future world. Um, Where they
0: drive fifties cars in the future.
2: Right, right, right. It's it's basically Havana, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy. Yeah, exactly. Um, But I, I I always thought it was really fascinating the, uh, the way that McLeod can just make women drop their britches at the drop (laughs) of a hat. You're immortal. We need to get it on. Like, that's like, I don't know how he does that. He doesn't even need a pickup line or anything. Um, would you guys have any uh any final notes about highlander or the highlander uh original trilogy well i will say
0: that i enjoyed the second movie for what it is the first movie is a good one to watch and enjoy the second one is a good one to watch with friends with a few beers if you need a laugh and then just disregard it because it has no place in the rest of any of the highlander universe right yeah that's i think you fair. hit the nail on the head when you said it had like a blade runner type universe it's like the screenwriter was like i really want to do a ridley scott movie but the only thing available is the highlander franchise
2: <laughs> make it work that's make the it fallback work. <laughs> Awesome. Well, um, that's about all we have for Highlander. It may come up again at some point. Um, you know, I'm sure it will. The topic itself probably won't, but I'm sure the tangential discussions about it definitely will. There can only um, be one! <laughs> okay, no, never mind. We can't ever talk about it again. <laughs> we have beheaded this topic. <laughs> it, is, it is done. Um, but we are going to move on to um, our, our good friend here, Paul, and he is going to discuss the finest of 90s I don't know if you can really call it a board game, but you're going to tell us all about it. Of course. Uh, g- gator Golf.
0: Gator Golf. What could be better than golf with the gator? <laughs> Which is... And
2: now I have that jingle stuck in my head right now. <laughs> and you will forever. <laughs> yes. So
0: Gator Golf was a, a kid's game released by Milton Bradley in 94. It was the toy. It was voted toy of the year when it came out. And no yeah. way. I don't know who actually decides on Toy of the Year. I assume there's like a convention and they hand out plastic statues, but I honestly don't know.
2: I'm picturing just one 8-year-old kid with one of those <laughs> propeller beanies and a big lollipop. <laughs> all,
1: all I can picture is like Michael uh, Scott from The Office handing out Dundee awards. And that one just somehow got the... See, I picture Dundee a bunch Dundee. of old Dundee,
2: Dursley, whatever. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I picture a bunch of old men in the room going harumph and, you know, like, we know what children want.
2: <laughs> Two
0: sticks and they're going to rub them together for warmth. Uh, (laughs) but if you want the
1: upgrade you gotta pay extra (laughs) exactly
0: so the game came out in 94 it was created by the same guy that made Crocodile Dentist which was another game of the same time period he really liked uh, reptilian animals didn't he and uh, they actually originally were debating on making it a turtle because they didn't want it to be so close to Crocodile Dentist because they were still selling a lot of those and then at the last minute, they decided it didn't really work. So they went back to the original idea of gator golf, if probably for the jingle alone. But <laughs> the general just Gotta stopped. give it a whack. <laughs> The general gist of it is, it was a little plastic alligator that would open its mouth, and you had a plastic putter, a solid plastic putter that you know you could do some real damage with, and you would hit a mostly hard, solid plastic golf ball into the gator's mouth. It would go all the way down to the tail, and then the gator would spin in a circle and kick the ball out to make it challenging for the next person because the the mouth would change direction for where you had to hit it so you'd have to putt more and um, it would uh, throw the ball different distances from what I the biggest thing I remember from it or any toy of that time period and maybe it's just because my hearing is fractured now but I remember it being extremely loud when it would spin and it would drive me nuts (laughs) especially if you had it on like concrete floor or like by the fireplace mantle or something like that
2: right right
1: (laughs) yeah I think it actually had the same decibel level as like a 747 taking off (laughs) a Man of War concert (laughs) (laughs) so
0: they actually Actually, uh, re-released it um, just uh, in two, uh, 2008, so about 10 years ago. In the newer version, in order to save money, it no longer spins in a circle before it spits the ball out. And it was also <laughs> orange in color. Don't know why. I think they were just trying to make it different. So Orange? The That's... Really, random. the internet like threw all a rage about how junky it was. They also the golf clubs were a thinner plastic, and you had to snap them together. And they added a score keep to the uh, um, to the golf clubs that you would slide up to keep score. And uh, oh. because it was such a disaster when they relaunched it. If you own the original, they're going for like sixty, seventy dollars on eBay right now. So you might have a gold mine sitting in your parents' basement.
2: Wow. I don't know if I ever actually owned the game. I definitely remember having Crocodile Dentist, um, which was kind of like a, it's almost like Russian roulette, basically, because the idea was the alligator had a toothache uh, or crocodile, excuse me, Crocodile Dentist. um, And so you would push down each tooth until you got to the one that was aching, and then it would snap down on your fingers. So yeah, it was Russian roulette, uh, reptilian <laughs> style. But so, so you're
1: telling me they taught kids to just go up to a random crocodile, stick their hand in there to see if it had a toothache. That
2: may have been why What's they the just continued the games for a brief period.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, they're all re-released now, and what they've done is they've... Um they've taken the elefun and mr buckets and they've all made it the same line as elefun presents which i don't uh. i don't remember elefun coming first elefun was a game where you had an elephant that was really just a vacuum cleaner set in blow mode, and it would blow confetti <laughs> all over your parents' living room, and you had to try and catch it with butterfly nets. Oh, I do remember that. I, had I forgotten about that entirely. That. Yeah. Like, I
2: definitely remember Mr. Bucket, though, where you had to yep. drop the... Oh, yeah. You know, and he had like almost like a Mr. Potato Head smile, and his yes. hands would move, and you had to drop the ball without it hitting the hands.
0: Also loud as hell.
2: Yes. Yes. All those games were, and they all took D batteries, too, yes. which... My house. I don't know about you guys. We had tons of double A batteries, even a few AAA batteries, mostly for like calculators or you know TV remotes. We never had like D batteries. Like if the toy died, it was like you had to go take a trip to Target to like get more batteries or Radio Shack or something like that. Like we didn't have them around the house.
1: Yeah, it seems like the only thing that takes D batteries is children' toys. I don't feel like I've ever used a D battery outside of that. I, I'm trying to come up with some. I got nothing.
2: Yeah, there may be some D batteries <laughs> in adult toys. I don't I don't know for sure. But... <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wouldn't know, but... <laughs> Maybe that's how the name came about, the, the D batteries, you know? <laughs> now, do you guys... I never owned the game. I don't know if I've ever even played the game. Do you guys have, like... Like powerful memories, like a good, good story of, uh, of connecting with, with Gator Golf.
0: So I know that ours, like you said, even though it took like three D cell batteries, you only got like an hour of playtime out of it because it just sucked juice like nothing else.
2: Mm-hmm. And,
0: uh, I remember taking the batteries out of it, and for whatever reason, my sister and I were putting the batteries across the carpet, and it was leaving streak marks because the batteries were like old and corroded and had been in there forever, and I forget what happened, but I must have shot one of those across the living room, and I hit a vase or some sort of plant holder, and the thing just (laughs) shattered,
2: and um, I immediately
0: just dropped the club and ran to my room, and to this day, I don't think my parents ever figured out what actually happened like they saw the <laughs> carnage but they never put two and two together that hey there's a golf club in the room and there's a battery over there so, right. <laughs> so,
1: so what you're saying is we need to make sure your parents don't hear this episode we don't need anybody ratting out paul on this
0: since it's on the internet, it'll be years before they discover it. and I'm sure then someone will have to show it to them. They're,
2: they're a little internet uh, averse, huh?
1: Yeah, pretty
0: much.
2: <laughs> if it was uh, on eight track, you know, maybe maybe they'd find it sooner. But
0: <laughs> they still call me to help them change the TV channel sometimes. So... Oh no!
2: Oh no! That's bad. Oh, it's goodness. stuck
0: on the TV guide channel again. What do I do?
2: Press up. <laughs> Press the menu button again. <laughs> uh,
1: that's Why funny. would I want the menu twice? I already have it once. <laughs> oh man, yeah. Um, I don't think we we ever owned it in my house. Um, I remember playing it. Uh, I had a friend that lived across the street. Uh, they were much more into board games than my family ever was. We we had a few board games growing up, like you know, Monopoly and uh, Trivial Pursuit, and, like, once Catchphrase became a thing, we had that, but I don't really ever remember having that many board games growing up, that, that just wasn't something we ever got really into at our household, um, so I, you know, I had a few toys like that and stuff, but I never really had, like, Gator Golf or Mr. Bucket or anything like that, but I definitely had friends that had all of those things, and so I'd play them at their house. Which is probably better for my parents anyway, then they didn't have to, you know, clean up the glitter from the one that shot glitter everywhere.
2: (laughs) Yeah, and uh, the the plastic clubs, I would imagine, could have been a a very deadly tool of sibling rivalry. I'm sure. Uh, Oh, of course. (laughs) They had to feel good (laughs) on a shin if whacked right.
1: (laughs) They were more
0: (laughs) swords than golf clubs.
2: Oh, yeah. Well, I think that's what we all use those things for, anyway. Like, I don't know how many times I had like a like one of those plastic wiffle bats that became my bazooka. Oh, you absolutely. Know? Um, and at some point, people bring out water guns. It's like, well, I can't just like pretend shoot them anymore. So you just throw your bat at them. Um, <laughs> you had a pretty violent you a bat childhood, to a didn't you? Fight, Brian? Did you? Uh, yeah, I was not not well prepared for that. Uh,
0: <laughs> Oh man! Well, I think that brings us to our main event, um, the classic all-time video game.
1: Yes, we are finally going to talk about my all-time favorite video game and probably one of the best video games to ever be created, which is GoldenEye 007 for the Nintendo 64.
2: Those are those are bold statements, right oh, there. Oh, so. I
1: can back it up. I got. I got. I got uh, references on this.
2: (laughs) Is one of those references juvenile for backing it up? (laughs) Yes. Yes. So,
1: um... Radio (laughs) (laughs) and So, GoldenEye 007 uh, was released August 25th of 1997, and was really kind of one of the first major releases for the Nintendo 64. Of course, there was like Mario 64... And a few other games that were launched games for the Nintendo 64, and this was one of them. Uh, so it was directed and produced by a guy named Martin Hollis, who ended up being a you know kind of a big time guy within the uh, Nintendo company. He ended up uh, later going on and working in uh, the the uh, Nintendo. What was the system that came after the 64? Uh, GameCube, GameCube, yeah. That was the GameCube, yeah. So he ended up working with the GameCube and all of that, but uh, this was kind of the first real big game that he directed for the uh, Nintendo 64, and obviously it is a tie-in to the movie uh, that came out around the same time, which was the Pierce Brosnan-led GoldenEye 007 uh, that came out, I believe, in, like, 96 or 97 and it's a cool story. It kind of takes place uh, mostly in, uh, like, Soviet Russia. And then there's instances where they go to, like, the jungle and stuff. So it's got some really cool scenery that played well into the video game. But the, the basically, you're playing through the, the storyline of the movie. So uh, you start out in the damn scene where he's trying to break into the Russian compound to uh, blow up some stuff with his partner and then you end up trying to figure out who this mysterious new informant is and you go through like the tank scene in Russia and all these great scenes and uh, definitely it it was a great single player for the time it was a great first person shooter it was an off the rails game uh, meaning that you could kind of freely roam around unlike, say, like a Doom or something like that, where it was like, a little bit more... Yeah,
2: like Wolfenstein. Yeah. Yeah, because most of those games, you kind of were just... It was a point-and-shoot. This guy could be completely above you on another level, and you're pointing your gun straight forward, and yet somehow you get a headshot. Right. Um, because it had, like, these auto-aim features, because there just wasn't the technology to operate on that many different axes. Correct, yeah. Um, so it was it was a very, uh, very revolutionary thing. And, and I think... You know, going back to the story of the movie itself, I think that we as 90s kids were very, very lucky that that particular Bond movie came out when it did because I think it lent itself very well to this type of video. Oh, game. absolutely. Like had you had something like, you know, View to a Kill or something like that, or uh, Octopussy, which has almost no real action action mm-hmm. in it. I mean there's some great car chase scenes in that movie for sure, but most of it is kind of that um Playboy aspect of Bond. Right. Um as opposed to like the world man of mystery mm-hmm. Um, well it modernized it and it
0: made it a real it made it a real action over the top movie i mean it was always an action movie but this kind of took it into that michael bay era
1: modern action film Mm -hmm. and they did a great job of kind of updating the technology too which played so well into the game the multi-function watch that he's wearing uh throughout the game which uh in the game acts as your like Pause screen so you can see all your stats on your wrist, um, and then of yep. course, like within the gameplay, you also end up using like the laser uh, to cut the floor of the the Soviet like tank train before it explodes and stuff like that. So it came it came into the gameplay uh, several times, which was really cool because that was like kind of a a pretty novel concept. And so was uh, I didn't realize this, but I was just reading something a while back and they were saying that one of the kind of new concepts of that game too was even having the uh zoomable sniper rifle like apparently that Ooh. was also new to that game which i always loved that feature like the very first uh level of the game when you're trying to invade that russian dam is the first time you get to pick up the sniper rifle
2: oh yeah i forgot about that. you pick it up in one of the the towers right yeah. it's in yep. the first tower
1: yep and so that was a really cool feature, because you could sit up on top of that tower, and if you were patient, you could pick off some of the soldiers that were down in that tunnel that you went into to get to the next part of the level there.
2: Yeah. Now, I think I think a really cool thing about the story as well, because you talk about um, going in with your partner to go on your mission, mm-hmm. and then you fast forward, and you're trying to figure out who this like evil informant guy is. Well this is the the first time that I was ever introduced to uh to Sean Bean and his uh ability <laughs> to die Million deaths. Yes, yes. <laughs> his prowess of being killed on film. Um that was uh one of the first times that I experienced that. Um and so spoiler alert, the informant is actually the old partner who gets killed in the movie. And he's um, so good,
0: he dies twice in this
2: movie. <laughs> yes. yes. He's very he's being
1: very Sean Bean ask in this movie he's got to take it up a notch
2: definitely definitely (laughs) so um so one of the big things that we haven't talked about yet which i think is the the in my opinion what really made the game revolutionary was not the single player play i think that that was very good correct i think it stuck to the story for the most part pretty well we can discuss in a little bit some of the extra levels that weren't actually in the movie, but somehow made it into uh, the video game. Mm-hmm. But the multiplayer deathmatch mode is really, really where it was. Oh, absolutely. So, oh, yeah.
1: so uh, the, you may not know this. You guys may not know this. Um, and this is something that when I read this blew my mind because now, you know, obviously having the hindsight of seeing how important this game has been to console gaming and the creation of the first-person shooter deathmatch and all that kind of stuff, Um, having that hindsight now, it's unbelievable to hear this, and that is that the GoldenEye game was not originally supposed to have a multiplayer, and in fact, it was only added about a month before the game shipped out, to stores, and it was developed Seriously? by yeah, wow. and it was developed by one guy. Wow. Um, there was a guy by one th- guy, one guy. Yes. So there was a guy by the name of Steve Ellis who got the the code for the uh, single player game, and just decided on a whim to kind of start working on a multiplayer version of the game in which you could have a death match and stuff like that, and he showed it to somebody about a month before the game's release. They decided that it was a good idea to put it in. And obviously the rest is history because without that uh, multiplayer game, I really don't think the first-person shooter deathmatch would have become as popular as it did. It really kind of proved that that could be something done on a console because that wasn't that had never been done on a console uh, prior right. to this. Right, right.
2: And I think something important for some of our younger listeners is that there was no such thing as Xbox Live or anything like that at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, So this multiplayer was very much you and up to three of your friends in your bedroom or your basement Mm -hmm. or wherever you kept your N64 playing all on one TV. And so it was a very cool bonding experience. And in fact, um one of my uh one of a, a good friend of all of ours actually, a good friend of the shows. Um he he grew up a couple blocks away when we were kids and he used to come over all the time and he was such a good friend. He knew like where we kept the key. So he uh you know, there were many many times where we would come home like from the movies or from dinner out somewhere. And he would just be upstairs in my bedroom playing playing GoldenEye. It's like, what the hell are you doing here, man? Uh, like, hey, want to oh, get a game? With? I didn't know you guys would be home so soon. Uh, <laughs> we live here. <laughs> like, come on. Oh, I have friends that like easy. that too. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Um, so. but
1: that, like you said, it was a great bonding experience. But it also could ruin friendships in a heartbeat because that game <laughs> was so easy to screen cheat on. Unlike today's games, where. You can play over a a LAN network or whatever, you can play online, so you're on your own TV and someone else is on their own TV. At this time, the only easy way to do that for the game, since it was a single system, was to just quarter your screen. And so literally, you would have four little screens just divided up on your television, and you could sit there and play and stuff like that, but it was so easy to screen cheat because literally all you had to do was kind of glance over. Right. I feel like that's the game that coined
0: the phrase screen cheating. I mean, I, I think it was right. always a thing, but that's like
1: when it became like common terminology. I feel like that was the game. Oh, I could see it. Because before that, like games like Doom had a multiplayer, but in order to do that, you had to have... A computer and a LAN network set up and all this crazy stuff, uh, which is why I think this game was so important for the uh, first-person deathmatch and all this stuff. Because prior to that, in order to do that, you had to have all this money invested into a computer and the LAN network. And And you had to be somewhat savvy in order to do it. I mean, a lot of people I talk to
0: that have the same kind of, like... You know, thoughtfulness for a multiplayer game. When they say their game is Doom, most of them were in college at the time and they were playing it in the computer labs right. or in the dorms or places where it was already set up for them. Because to do that at home, it was incredibly expensive. And when we were 13, I mean, we weren't going to get our hands on a computer that could run oh, that, no. let alone one that could talk to another
1: computer over a modem or over a network.
0: It just didn't exist. Right.
2: right.
1: Well, and I think what was so important too about the game is you know you talk about Doom as being kind of the first really big first person shooter especially like a multiplayer online match or whatever uh, for like kids in our age range because GoldenEye came out when we were all in fourth grade and so that wasn't necessarily a game that we could probably really play at the time just because of how graphic that game was. uh, That's what I was going to say
2: too is that you know, in Doom and in Wolfenstein and you know Duke Nukem and all those games, um, when when you killed somebody, like there were blood and guts and their corpse just sat there mm-hmm. until you completed the level. I mean, it was there indefinitely. Yep. Yeah. Where like GoldenEye, like yes, you still had guns, there were still explosions, there was still you know quote unquote violence, but at the same time, like these these sprites would just kind of disappear, like they would yep. just evaporate. Um, you know, and so that was uh, that definitely made it different. It made it it made it less graphic and gory, and mm-hmm. more about kind of like the 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 sporting quality of <laughs> hunting other people. <laughs>
1: well, the the cool
2: part about it too
1: was that uh, if you really wanted to even make it less traumatic for uh, a kid to play this game, they had a cheat code that you could do. That would bring up a paintball mode, and so instead of firing bullets, <laughs> oh, yeah. you can fire paintballs all over. <laughs> and big head. Mode. And yep. big head
2: mode. Yep. Yep. Yeah, they had a whole bunch of those different cheats that you could unlock. Because um, mm-hmm. that that was something that nowadays you just pay money and you get like these different modes and these different screens for your players and stuff like that, mm-hmm. different skins. But back then, it's like if you wanted these things, you had to beat the game at a certain difficulty or within beat a level within a certain amount of time or yep. do certain yep. particular objectives to unlock these things. Yep. And so to kind of revisit something I'd I mentioned earlier, for the most part, I want to say like 90% of the levels were in chronological order in the game. They followed the storyline. There were some that were kind of exaggerated more than they like than they probably were in the movie. Right. But then after the cradle you had two other levels there's like an Aztec level yes and the temple and the temple and neither of those were in the movie like they had no correlation to that at all
1: right and and also uh, correct me if I'm wrong but wasn't that uh the first appearance of the uh, golden Gun I think it was in. Maybe the Aztec level is when you could get the golden gun, which was like the ultimate overpowered gun. Like people complain now when they play uh, Call of Duty and all those games <laughs> that there's an overpowered gun. Try uh, having a ga- uh, gun where it's uh, legitimately every time it's a one shot kill, you can just shoot them in the foot and they die.
2: Yeah, I think that was in the Egyptian temple because that was where you had the... Uh... Baron, yeah baron samedi oh yeah yeah that is. makes sense um and he would like laugh and disappear and reappear and it was super creepy um <laughs> so, so you kind of needed that single shot to really really take him out because he was very high powered mm-hmm. um the other thing that i thought you
0: only got one shot because after you fired the gun you took you had to reload it because it could only take one (laughs) in the chamber oh yeah yeah so you were pretty much toast after you got that one kill so it was overpowered but they kind of balanced it out
2: yeah i think so i think so so something else that i always recall and it's because kind of after about the age of like 14 15 years old i kind of stopped playing video games for the most part like i mean i'll still play like Angry Birds and stuff like that, but I don't. I don't get like the Call of Duties and all of that stuff. Um, I just don't have a console to play it on, and I just don't really have the time to do it. So whenever I do get a chance to play a game like that, I always have to change the controls to inverted because I'm still <laughs> so used to how the James Bond controller yes. works. Like, ruined you for life. It really did. I was
1: just gonna say, in that uh, Nintendo 64 controller certainly didn't help because. Yeah, You know, before that, most of the controllers were either, like, your, uh, Super Nintendo had that nice rectangular controller. And then the Sega Genesis kind of had, you know, a dual-sided kind of grip thing to it. And then the Nintendo 64 comes out, and that just had to have a, uh, throw a wrench in everything. By having this weird, awkward, like, M-shaped controller with a, you know, you had the bumpers on the shoulders... You had yep. the C buttons. You had, what, two different... Oh,
2: I love that Z trigger, though. Oh, That, like, absolutely. really made, like, like, the first-person shooters realistic. Because I remember playing Doom 64 and Turok Dinosaur Hunter. And by having that trigger on the bottom, like, you felt, like, more engaged in the game than pressing the B button on Sega Genesis. Right.
1: It felt team. like you were actually kind of pulling a trigger like you were playing the game. Or you were in right. the game. Yeah. It was so unnatural to hold in tiny hands, though. I mean, I still have
0: permanent scarring (laughs) from trying to grip the trigger, and I honestly believe that we're going to see a rise in carpal tunnel cases, even though our generation is using the keyboard less. I think it's going to be the damn 64 (laughs) controller from when we were all, like, 10.
1: That's our undoing. Like like wrist tendinitis and uh, carpal tunnel from how you had to hold that thing.
2: (laughs) So, um... For the multiplayer, did you guys have a favorite level weapons combo? Because like, you could pick the different types of weapons, um, and you could obviously pick the different levels. Did you guys have a particular combo that was like kind of your your sweet stuff?
0: I loved the facility, uh-huh. mm-hmm. and I loved the RC-90. So I would say probably power weapons on facility was my favorite. Yeah. But it was always overshadowed, but because it, it seemed like everyone wanted to play Temple, because everyone I knew had that mem- memorized like the back of their <laughs> yeah. hand.
2: Yeah. And that was what the one where you like could see through the floor into the lower yeah, level, yeah. and people would camp out down there and shoot up at you, or you could camp up from up top and shoot down on them. Mm-hmm. And there were some very It was dark a map designed for
1: ten people, but you could only have a maximum of four.
2: <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, so
1: it was very easy once it got down to the last two to just spend like five minutes wandering around trying to figure out where the other person is.
2: What about you, Adam? What was kind of your uh, your go to?
1: Uh, Mine was the I think it was called Archive or something
2: like that. It was the that's the really small level. It's two levels, like two floors. Yes, yes,
1: yeah, yeah. And I always glass windows. Yes, and I really liked that one because it had some kind of great. I don't want to say camping points, but I guess camping points for a lack of a better term, where uh, it had a lot of places where you could position yourself in such a way that you could use a great weapon like the proximity mine, uh, mm-hmm. which was revolutionary. That was such a great addition to that because uh, it gave you a little bit of protection from the part of the screen that you couldn't see because you could throw one of those up on the wall, and as soon as somebody walked by, the, the mine would go off. But then you could see down the other side of the hallway. So it gave a, a little way to protect yourself, uh, which was probably kind of the original version of camping as well, but... Hey, you know, oh, it for works. sure, for <laughs> sure.
2: Yeah. I mean, that was probably my favorite weapon was the proximity mines. And I think they were really effective mm-hmm. in the archives because you had the multiple floors and you had like the tiny rooms. So if you'd like knew a room that people frequently respond in, for example, and you just left a proximity mine on the outside edge of that room where they couldn't shoot it without exiting the room first, they were toast every time. Yep. Um, I think my favorite level, though, was the library. And what the library was, wasn't even a level that was part of the actual gameplay other than in multiplayer. But it was a combination of the stack and the basement. So yep. it was three floors. And similarly, you could just put these proximity mines between the basement um, on a ramp. So when the people are like screen yep. cheating and see that, oh, he's all the way upstairs, I gotta go chase him. And they go to the ramp, they, they get blown up. <laughs> now, the proximity mines were cool. The timed mines were cool because they were basically like grenades, but they would stick. Um, mm-hmm. I never really liked the remote mines, though, because you literally had to screen cheat in order to use them. And if you were lucky enough, I
1: guess you could use a proximity mine on one side of you and then have the remote mine like in front of you. That way, if anybody was coming, you could kind of wait and time it out. But yeah, well, I don't it-
2: think... I don't think in multiplayer, at least unless unless you had a cheat code, you couldn't have both proximity and remote mines at the same time.
1: Oh, that that's probably the case. Yeah. yeah.
2: So like it was it was really kind of a, a pain in the ass because like unless you were willing to risk being shot at and waiting to actually see people on your screen, you had to basically look at their screen to see if they were coming. Now, what was mm-hmm. you guys' least favorite multiplayer weapon?
0: Slapper. <laughs>
2: Fair enough. Yeah, that's yeah. Slapper
0: funny. is exactly what it sounds like. It was the bare hand. <laughs> yep.
2: And there was no berserk mode like there is in Doom. So you just beat those people for a long time. <laughs> Similarly, mine was the weapon right above that, which was throwing knives. I hated oh, those. Oh, yeah. The only... But you could pick them up. That was, it. that was the only silver lining was that you could go back and pick them up. So you never really ran out of ammo. But yeah. at the same time, like they were Im- Possible to aim. They really didn't get much distance. But if you got a head, like a head hit, I was going to say head shot. But if you get a head hit, um, that was that was certain death. So, oh yeah. What yeah, about I you, then?
1: I don't know if I ever necessarily had a least favorite, but I guess I would have to go with the slapper as well. Uh, just because I feel like all the other ones, you you could kind of learn how to make those effective. The slap, though, it's kind of hard to make just slapping somebody in the face effective to kill them.
2: Right,
0: right. <laughs> I remember lots of people loved to play slappers and throwing knives, and I was okay with it if everyone was on an even playing field. It was when you were the guy that couldn't find ammo and you were stuck with either the slapper or the throwing knife until else has- someone else died. Yeah,
2: yeah, that sucked. Yeah. Um, for sure. <laughs> so there was... We'll just talk about this briefly because I, we're running a little real long, and then uh, I'm sure this will be a topic that will come up as well, but the spiritual successor to GoldenEye was a game called Perfect Dark.
1: Yes, great game. Absolutely oh, fantastic.
2: Yeah. And Perfect Dark, although the single player, I think, was not nearly as good as the GoldenEye single player was, the multiplayer, every aspect of GoldenEye that was not perfect um, on multiplayer, they at least made an attempt to address. So they didn't necessarily perfect right. it.
1: Well, and that was yeah. that was certainly the, the case behind it. Uh, I remember when I was doing my research, uh, one of the things they talked about is almost immediately after GoldenEye came out, uh, they set out to make another game using the same engine, uh, that, that rare engine, to try and improve upon the issues that you know the the there there weren't a lot of issues but there certainly were you know just because it was so early for its time as far as first person uh death matches and stuff like that you know there was a lot of things that they didn't know that they needed to fix uh prior to that and stuff like that so they kind of took it and ran with it and they certainly did a great job I felt like, I I know this is something that I don't know if a lot of people remember, but uh, I remember the vehicles in that game were actually pretty good. They were kind of akin to like, almost like the Halo-esque kind of Mm -hmm. things. Like, uh, you know, the vehicles you could get in that. Like the floating, um, I I think it was called the Reaper or something like that. Whatever the one was where it was like a motorcycle, (laughs) snowmobile kind of thing, but it floated. Um, and right. so, th- like that was awesome because in uh, GoldenEye, you were very limited in the the one vehicle that you actually used was that big Russian tank when you were going through the streets in Russia, um, and and it was that one was very much on the rails. Like you couldn't really control where the tank was going; you could pretty much just control the turret. Uh, whereas in this game, you could actually kind of freely move on your vehicle, which I thought was really cool. Right, right.
2: And I think some of the other aspects, especially in the multiplayer for Perfect Dark that they really addressed, um, one of the main issues with GoldenEye was that if you had four players playing on multiplayer and you had a weapon like grenade launchers and you were in a, a fairly tight space and everyone's shooting stuff and there's constant explosions, the game would lag. oh yeah (laughs) um and they did a lot to correct that and not only that they realized that you know four players is great but imagine if we could have more players and imagine if uh if you couldn't necessarily screen cheat on them
0: Mm -hmm.
2: and there still wasn't quite the ability to network these games yet on like a LAN or something like that but they allowed you to have a lot of simulated players which was really cool um, like and you bots pick and this stuff th- like that exactly and so mm-hmm. and you could pick their stats too like you could pick a guy that was just garbage and would just stand there and let you shoot him and there was other people that were <laughs> really good at camping and sniping people or really good with hand-to-hand, like, they just get right in your face and just beat you. They didn't care if it was slappers only. Yeah. That was, like, their their. Yeah, strength.
0: GoldenEye, you needed to have friends if you smelled bad or were unpopular. You, know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you were playing the single player. Yep. <laughs> right, right, exactly,
2: exactly. Yep. And the actual sequel to GoldenEye, however, was the Tomorrow Never Dies game. Oh, and that, that was, was garbage. That was not nearly as good as its predecessor, so... I,
0: it had some of the weapons, and it had bots. And those are the only two things that I could give it. If I couldn't find someone to play with, then that would be the one I would go to over Goldeneye for the multiplayer. Like if I just had 10 minutes before I had to leave for work. Mm-hmm. Because you could just do five bots, have a death match, and then
2: call it a game. Right. Are you talking about Perfect Dark, or are you talking about Tomorrow Never Dies? I'm
0: talking about Tomorrow Never Dies. Really?
2: Yeah. Interesting. I, I don't know. We rented it once from Blockbuster, and I was just not impressed um
0: oh it wasn't it was by no means a great game like i said the only thing i can say for it is they added the bots for the multiplayer and most of the weapons from goldeneye carried over into the multiplayer they added new ones not as nice but you could at least play by yourself whereas with goldeneye like i said if you didn't have friends you were in trouble yeah gotcha gotcha so what size tvs were you guys playing this on just out of curiosity. I think
2: mine was probably, boy, I don't know, like maybe, maybe a 40 inch, but it was maybe 35 inch, but it was that deep as well. I mean, it was the, it was the big box TVs from, from like the 80s, and I think it had four channels on it naturally. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so
0: four man lift the speakers oh, built into the side yes. oh, you know
2: the one you know the one it had a tracking <laughs> knob on it uh oh yeah <laughs> i think yep. it might have been a zenith actually if, if i'm being completely uh nice
0: i think i was eight before i knew what tinfoil was actually intended
2: for <laughs> <laughs> it's not for preserving your food oh <laughs> <Who knew>? yeah.
1: <laughs> um yeah i think i played uh mine was probably a little smaller mine Mine was one of those big console TVs, so uh, that was the one where it had, like, the TV, but then there was, like, the big wooden frame around it. Like, you know, it was probably about three or four feet wide, and it had the speakers built in and everything. Um, With the wooden dust covers to cover the screen. Oh, yeah, yeah, yep, so... Which seems like a terrible idea. (laughs) Yeah, it seems kind of counterintuitive, considering, you know, they're using...
2: uh, the it would camouflage with the rest of your basement, so everything was wood paneling. Yeah, that's true.
0: We don't we don't want the other people to know that we have a TV in the basement. We don't want to be heathens like them, so we need to disguise it exactly. for when people come over. <laughs> what What about you, Paul? What size were you? So, I mean, I played it on you know the parents like. 29 30 inch in the living room mm-hmm. but most of the time was actually spent on a 13 inch tv in our playroom oh, and we had geez. bunk beds in there and we would sit on the bunk beds and you wow. know the council would be on a chair moved away from the tv and somehow we managed to play at four player and how our eyes don't <laughs> bleed
1: now That's i i have no idea but we did it and we didn't complain <laughs> damn it next time the three of us are all in the same location we need to try this And see how well we can do nowadays. Because I feel like all of us would be uh, shooting at each other. And we're actually hitting the wall and not hitting anybody.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I can't even imagine. I don't think I could play it on a 13-inch single player, to be honest, these days. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know
2: how you did that. I mean, like, my my laptop screen is about that size. Like, I can't imagine having it split into fourths with, like, Nintendo 64 graphics and the... uh, the rocket launcher lag, like I can't even, it hurts to even think about. Um, with the
0: one mono speaker that when everybody died at the same time and it played that tone, it would go all
1: tinty. <laughs> yep, <Nice>. yep. <laughs> so um, the last thing before we finish this up that I think is kind of worth noting, just kind of for the nostalgia aspect of it, but a few years ago uh, they actually decided to come out with a golden eye Reloaded in which they recreated the original GoldenEye movie. But here was the big issue. They didn't recreate it, like, frame for frame. They just kind of took the framework of it and then kind of roughly put it together with improved graphics. And in what I think is one of the worst crimes in video game history, they removed Pierce Brosnan from the game and put Daniel Craig in it. Which oh. makes absolutely no sense, considering Daniel Craig (spoiler alert) was not in Goldeneye. <laughs> I
2: That's
0: still
1: played the hell out of it, though. <laughs>
2: it My was... wife
0: bought it for me for Christmas that year, <laughs> and I called in to work for like the next two
1: days and played it straight <laughs> through. <laughs> nice. I, I tried to play it, uh, play through it, but I could only get a couple levels in before I just got sick of how much of the game they changed. Cause I was, I was hoping that they were like faithfully recreating the, you know, updated graphics, but I was hoping that they would leave the maps at least the same. And not just with the multiplayer, but with the single player too. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, that, that does it for our discussion of GoldenEye. So. That wraps up our show for this episode. And now, get off my lawn! That escalated <laughs> Sorry. quickly.
0: Uh, take a take a chill pill, but we still got to select the topic oh, for right. next time.
1: Oh, so
2: Probably should do that. That's right. <clears throat> so as a brief refresher, we will be drawing topics from the hopper of imagination. <laughs> it's a very imaginative name, <laughs> I know. Um, I'll be uh, introducing the topic and its category. I'll count to three. And we will all have an opportunity to call dibs uh, for it to be our next discussion uh, that we will lead, or we can collectively decide to pass. Once we have collectively decided to pass on a topic, it will be resubmitted into the hopper, and we can only collectively pass on one topic. So that means there's only going to be a maximum of four topics potentially drawn, no more, no less, and we will all know in a moment uh, what those topics will be, and so will you. Awesome.
0: I see what you did there. You broke the fourth wall. It's very Deadpool of you.
2: <laughs> thank you, thank you. Let's spin it! Alright, so we're gonna give this <laughs> give this sucker a crank. And the uh, first topic is Ultimate Warrior, celebrity, professional wrestling. Ooh. One, two, three. Did oh, I think Adam I think yes. Adam beat you, Paul. Woo! That's Ric Flair, by the way. Uh, (laughs) That's not the Ultimate (laughs) Warrior. Oh, (laughs) right. If you're listening
0: to this and you don't know who Ric Flair is, you're not allowed to friend me (laughs) on Facebook.
2: (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Are you guys ready for the next one? Ready. The next one is Stand By Me Movie. One, two, three. Dibs. Really? Yeah. See, I
0: always hesitate. And I know that I can do this movie justice, so I'm going to
2: go with it. All right, all right. It's a classic. It's it's been a long time since I've seen it, so um, I think I'm going to have to...
0: It's got that Will Wheaton vibe. Jerry O'Connell. I remember the
2: scene with the train, and, well, we'll talk about it next week. But, um, (laughs) okay, um, and then... uh, All right, so I have the opportunity to either this topic, but if I pass, then I have to take the fourth one. Um, so let's see. This one is
1: Decisions, decisions.
2: AOL dude. Insta- ah, get out of here, Jeopardy. It's AOL Instant Messenger. <laughs> one, two, three. I'll take that one. That sounds like a really fun topic. And the fourth topic will be Lost to the Ether, um, to the pages of history. But yeah, so uh that's our show, folks. And uh thanks for joining us on Dating Ourselves.
1: If you like what you heard today, there's definitely more to come. You can check us out at www.datingourselvespodcast.com to learn more about us and the show. And also check out our contact tab if you'd like to submit your own nostalgic topics. You can also send us submissions at datingourselvespodcast at AOL.com. We've got mail.
2: (laughs) You can also check us out on Facebook at www.facebook.com Dating Ourselves Podcast. And if you're on Instagram, uh, you can also find us there at Dating Ourselves Podcast.
0: And remember, if you're too old for Snapchat and too young for Life Alert, then you've just
2: been dated. All right. Thanks again, guys. See ya. See ya. So you guys. Long.